0: the rise and fall of human systems. Light radiates in a pattern of expanding waves.
1: Is there life elsewhere? How does it affect us? These are big questions. Yet the meaning of all this to us is far from ordinary.
2: You're listening to Transistor, a science series from PRX.
3: It's actually a donor dropping by. Um,
2: I'm your host, Christina Agapakis, yeah, right and right now uh, I'm standing in uh, a weird and wonderful place. It's a small lab outside of Boston where they're doing something that just a few years ago would have been unthinkable.
3: Dropping off sample. Um. <laughs>
2: Mark Smith helped create this place. It's called Open Biome, and it's a poop bank. That's kind of like a blood bank, but instead of collecting blood, you collect poop. So every day, donors come in here and drop off a Tupperware container filled with fresh poo. Sometimes it's exciting poo.
3: This donor came in, and his first sample that he brought in was like... 582 grams
2: that's like a pound it's so big
3: <laughs> and like what was funny about it is he came in it was sort of like that guy who just came in a few minutes ago very nonchalantly just like oh here you go we have a couple donors that are you know always good for you know four or five hundred gram sample daily yeah yeah there's some that just they just have high fiber diets
2: samples are better because you can get more treatments out of them. All this donated poop will be sent to doctors at hospitals and it's going to be transplanted into people who are really sick. For at least one disease, doctors are saying that these poop transplants are the closest thing they've seen to a miracle cure. Now the question is, how did poop become a miracle cure? How did we get here? I'm a microbiologist, so I am excited about all things microbial, including poop. But in this episode, we're going to get into things that are a little bit icky for some people. But I promise it's really, really interesting, so stick with us. We're going to be talking all about poop, from yellow soup to the black market for poop, which some people are calling the brown market. We're going to start with poop transplants, or fecal microbiota transplants, FMT, which is actually a really ancient idea. Here's Mark Smith again.
3: So it was published in like the Chinese literature in like the fourth century.
2: About 1,700 years ago, Chinese physicians would prescribe yellow soup, which was really just feces mixed with water, for people that had bad diarrhea.
3: But uh, I mean it was published in the Western literature, uh, 1958 was the first paper.
2: That paper was by Ben Eisman, a surgeon at a Denver hospital, who ended up publishing four different reports on how fecal transplants helped his patients. He would take feces from a healthy patient and transplant it into the colon of his sick patients, and it made them better.
3: You know, this guy's like, yeah, you know, this is a really remarkable treatment that people should follow up on. And then it's like radio silence for like, you know, 30, 40 years. And people started working on it again in sort of the 70s and 80s. And now it suddenly exploded.
2: It's exploding now because of the increasing number of people who are getting C. diff, which is an infection with a bacteria called Clostridium difficile.
3: It's the most common hospital-acquired infection in the country, affects like half a million patients every year, costs billions of dollars. The healthcare system
2: People are at risk of getting C. diff after they take really strong antibiotics. For example, after a long stay in the hospital. Once the antibiotics have killed off all of the bacteria in your gut, the microbiome, any C. diff that can get in gets the chance to bloom and really take over. People with C. diff really suffer with horrible, debilitating diarrhea. And as many as 14,000 people die every year from C. diff, making it one of the deadliest hospital-acquired infections. The standard treatment for C. diff has been to give people more antibiotics and more harsh antibiotics like vancomycin. That is until a 2013 New England Journal of Medicine study that was the first randomized controlled trial of fecal transplants. The trial compared FMT to the traditional vancomycin. Eventually the scientists cut the trial early, and that's not because the fecal transplants weren't working, but because they were working so well. It was actually unethical to not give fecal transplants to the other patients. Even though we know that fecal transplants really work for treating C. diff, there's still not a lot of doctors who are doing it. And the Food and Drug Administration is having a hard time figuring out how to regulate it as a treatment. Even now, the FDA considers it an experimental treatment and approved only for C. diff. Mark Smith saw this challenge firsthand. He was a postdoc at MIT when his girlfriend's cousin got C. diff.
3: Um, He had it for a year and a half. He went on seven rounds of ankymicin, failed everything. He was trying to get a fecal transplant for a very long time. He was on sort of a waiting list to get a fecal transplant from, like, the only guy in New York at the time that was doing it and uh, and couldn't get one. Uh, And so he ended up getting a fecal transplant from his roommate just, like, in his apartment uh, with just, like, a kitchen blender and, like at home and I'm a
0: kid. Okay. And what I do, I just I pulse it. Um, I don't really whip it in the, in the blender for a very long time. I do it about five minutes.
2: This is one of the many, many <laughs> DIY poop transplant videos that you can find on YouTube. Some even have tens of thousands of hits. People who are suffering from other intestinal diseases, like Crohn's disease or irritable bowel syndrome, want to try FMT and see if it works for their illnesses too. That's because poop is such a huge blockbuster drug for C. diff. Of course, it's a lot different than other blockbuster drugs, like something like Lipitor that lowers your cholesterol.
3: Lipitor isn't the kind of thing you can just, like, go in your basement and produce, but, like, everybody is a producer of stool, right? That's kind of the concern is that you'll have all this kind of underground brown market stuff that's going on if it's, if it's not available.
2: But it could also end up being not so good for you. The same way that a blood bank has to screen blood for blood-borne pathogens, you would need to be able to screen the poop for dangerous poop-borne pathogens. That's why Mark Smith created Open Biome. He wanted to make a safe source of poop for doctors to be able to use for fecal transplants. So we know that fecal transplants work, and we know that with Open Biome, we have a safe source of poop. Now the question is, why do fecal transplants work at all?
3: I think the reason is really that now we, it used to just be, oh, that's quackery. We don't know. No, no Now there's a mechanism where it's like, oh, yeah, that actually makes complete sense. and It's totally intuitive. And now, you know, any, any layperson will say, yeah, of course, you can't. I'd like, rebuild the microbiome.
2: So, yeah, obviously, it's really easy, right? <laughs> it's a great item for your to-do list. Do the dishes, clean out the garage, rebuild your microbiome. It's actually a pretty simple idea. With C. diff, you just have one bacteria left in your gut, and that's the bacteria that's causing all the problems. When you transplant poop from somebody who's healthy, all the hundreds of bacteria from their microbiome will come in and create a new ecosystem that'll start working again. If this is so good for somebody who's sick, could poop help make healthy people even healthier? There's a sense maybe that our body needs to go back to a time before we started using antibiotics and before we so drastically changed our microbiome. If we could reset our gut microbiome with a poop transplant, should we? I talked to Ed Yong.
1: So I'm Ed Yong. I'm a science writer based in the UK.
2: Ed is a brilliant science writer. He writes a blog called Not Exactly Rocket Science, and he's writing a book about the microbiome. I love reading his work because he's both as excited and as skeptical as I am about what poop can do. So first I have to ask, would you bank your own poop? (laughs)
1: Um, Would I bank my own poop? Um, I I certainly have not considered it. Uh, I I have no plans on doing that at the moment.
2: Ed told me about Jeff Leach, an anthropologist who was studying in Tanzania.
1: So what what they're trying to do is to... um, look at the microbiomes um, of a group called the Hadza, who are a very traditional hunter-gatherer group um, who live in Tanzania. And um, the interest here is looking at what microbiomes look like from people who live very differently to um, a Western lifestyle.
2: He thought that maybe people who live in Tanzania would have a microbiome untouched by Western antibiotics and diet.
1: I think some people would argue that this represents a kind of ancestral microbiome, that it's like what human microbiomes looked like before we wrecked them through all the foibles of modern Western life.
2: Leach wanted to see what would happen if he took on this ancient microbiome for himself. He wrote an extremely detailed blog post where he described giving himself a fecal transplant from a Hadza tribesman's poop.
1: That's a bit problematic um, because microbiomes do adapt very quickly. So, you know, my microbiome is very adapted to the um, high fat, high energy food that I smother it with. Um, And the microbiome of Habs is very well adapted to their diet. Now, is one better or worse than the other? I don't think we have a clear enough understanding of the science to answer that question yet. There is almost certainly not going to be a single healthy microbiome. Um, You know, these are ecosystems, ecosystems by their nature are very complex. What works in one setting is not going to work in the other.
2: Everything we learn about the microbiome reinforces this point. The microbiome is an ecosystem, it's complex and it changes a lot. The next big step for the science is to figure out what's in the ecosystem. It all looks like poop. What are the differences in our microbiomes? Oh, I can make it simpler. Who's this, who's this audience? General. Oh god, Cute. I gotta
0: make this simpler. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> Tammy Lieberman is a former colleague of mine. She got really curious about these new companies that sell kits for individuals to look at their gut microbiome from the comfort of home. She was curious about how it worked and what kind of information they could tell her, and also how different the different companies would be. So Tammy ordered two kits from both companies, the American Gut Project and Ubiome. Each kit costs around $99. So
0: um, what we have here in this Ubiome kit is a sealed swab. Um, It's sterile.
2: Here are some things you're not supposed to do before you use your swab.
0: In general, you should avoid bathing or bringing any substances that might disturb the microbiome into contact with the sample site for at least eight hours before sampling. This includes contact with antiseptic or antibiotic soaps or lotions, sex, kissing, food, hot tubs and pools, and the like.
2: Once you're ready, you go to the bathroom and then you swab the used toilet paper.
0: Put it in a plastic bag, put that plastic bag in a shipping envelope, send it off. It's really ridiculously simple.
2: So here's where it gets really interesting. The companies sequence all the DNA that's in the poop, and then they use that DNA to figure out which bacteria are there. That tells us what's in the ecosystem and gives us clues about how it's working. Tammy, being a scientist, wasn't satisfied with just one swab. She sent two to each company, one from each end of the same poop log. That's definitely the scientific term, poop log. She wanted to
0: know. How much variability is there within a poop? Because if different parts of my poop look different, then what does this one sample really mean? Can you take a swab and really learn about yourself?
2: That's really the question. How much can we actually know from just one swab? So what I found
0: was actually that these two samples that I sent from two different parts of my log looked really different. For instance, there were charts comparing
2: Tammy's results to other people's microbiomes.
0: Groups of people who have similar diets to me. Groups of people of a similar gender to me, similar BMI to me, similar age.
2: Also, Michael Pollan. Uh, yep. Best-selling author Michael Pollan. He had his gut microbiome sequenced, and he wrote about it for the New York Times magazine a couple years ago, and he made his results public. So the sample from one end of the same poop log put Tammy closer to Michael Pollan than the other. So one part of your poop is more natural than the other. That's right. <laughs> both interesting and frustrating, at least scientifically, because of this variability. How can we explain it? Are the companies messing up the sequencing? Well, maybe, but it's probably more that the gut microbiome just naturally changes, maybe hour to hour. If the data itself
0: is not good, then even a smart person could make mistakes. And it's particularly scary to me because people are making decisions based on this.
2: For an individual, the recommendation might be to eat more fiber. But if you did the sequencing on another day, you might look pretty healthy. It's hard to tell. There's still a big gap in what we know about that microbiome. And in that gap, there's a lot of hope. Mark Smith from Open Biome, the poop bank we visited, says people want this to work so much they're willing to believe it despite contradictory evidence.
3: Yeah, it would be a great snake oil placebo medicine. Uh, And so the whole field is like cruising for a little bit of a letdown in the next couple of years because I think a number of these studies are going to come out and they're going to come out with negative results and people are going to be like, oh no, microbiome, not a silver bullet, it turns out.
2: There is, however, one thing that we know that fecal transplants are a silver bullet for, and that's C. diff. So when we go back to Mark's girlfriend's cousin and his DIY poop transplant... We see that he got better right away.
3: For me, I had this moment, it's like, okay, we have this treatment that works like incredibly well and it's ostensibly should be like cheap and simple to do, and yet people aren't doing it, so what's the disconnect?
2: So Mark started Open Biome as a non-profit. They charge about $250 per treatment, and it's grown really quickly since its first transplant in October of 2013. Today, they have more than a dozen donors, and poop treatments from the lab have been used more than 2,000 times around the country, and more hospitals are signing up every day. Once the donor makes a deposit, it gets put into a big plastic bag, and that goes into a machine that's about the size of a mini fridge.
3: And then there's basically, think about it just like a punching machine, and just goes and sort of homogenizes the, the stool.
2: What is this machine? originally for. <laughs> is, this, is this a poop stomping machine?
3: That's basically what it is. Uh, that, that's sort of what you can think about it as like if you were mushing up grapes for wine, but, but poo.
2: Then they take a pipette and suck out the liquid that's left behind, which then gets bottled and frozen. For all that they've built, Open Biome is pretty low-tech, and their process hinges on another, more common technology—
3: uh, I think the other magic behind Open Biome is FedEx. FedEx, is a great, a great company. Seven Do they different know hospitals. That
2: it's poo? Yes, they will. There's
3: all kinds of crazy yeah. regulations around how you ship stuff. It's insane. But uh, like seven different hospitals all over the country are going to get poo tomorrow morning from those boxes right there, and it's like that's the coolest technology that's going on here.
2: Amazing how far we've come. Ten years ago, we were still obsessed with banishing bacteria from our life, and now we're thinking of bacteria as a hero. The problem is, the truth is likely somewhere in between. Here, science writer Ed Yong again.
1: These microbes aren't our friends. Um, you know, they're not there to make us feel better. Um, they have their own interests. Um, so, you know, the, the microbiome because it's about unity and it's about um, partnerships there's a tendency to kind of view it almost in a hippie sort of way that we're all working together in this harmonious relationship and isn't everything wonderful
2: We're scientists but we're also people and we need these narrative crutches It's really really hard for us to think in terms of ecosystems or things that aren't quite just good or bad, friend or foe we want to be able to reduce things down to this is a good microbiome and this is a bad microbiome, that you should put this in your gut, but not that. But it's not so easy. And what we're finding with a microbiome is that everything is complicated. Next time I host, we're going to take it down a notch, at least in terms of biological complexity, from poop to pimples. That's next time I host Transistor. Transistor podcast series is brought to you by PRX. Subscribe to more episodes on iTunes and visit our website, transistor.prx.org, for more information, including photos from the poop bank. This episode was produced by Carrie Donahue, Shruti Pinnamaneni, and mixed by David Herman. The Transistor team includes PRX Chief Content Officer John Barth, Content Coordinator Genevieve Sponsler, and Lily Bowie. This episode was supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information on Sloan at sloan.org.